Thank you, Abby. Thank you, Abuna Anthony, for uh, really joining us and uh, spending this time with us. And uh, it's really enjoyable to be with you and to be nourished uh, with the words of the Holy Spirit coming from your mouth. And I, I also would like to welcome uh, everyone who is joining us uh, right now uh, to enjoy this blessed time together. Thank you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. My beloved, I'll just go ahead and do two things. First things first, so that I'm not just stuck staring at my own face the entire 45 minutes. I encourage you, please, to open your... Uh, to open your cameras have mercy please have mercy and show me your beautiful faces i know that all of you were hoping to just like read your facebook streams and posts and walls and twitter accounts uh, while i'm on here by myself but uh, let's do this please show me your beautiful faces thank you aki thank you david all right uh and mary thank you mary all right let me go ahead and share my screen Abuna, I made you a co-host. Maybe that'll help. Okay, thank you. Nothing is cooperating. Give me a second. All right, here we go. All right, let's go ahead and jump right into the conversation that we want to have today. Over the next half hour or 40 minutes or so, I want to talk to you guys about something that, to be quite honest with you, uh, I feel like it has a very bad reputation among us as Coptic Christians. We're going to speak about fasting, but we're going to speak about fasting from the right perspective. I'm actually really tired of the way that we speak about fasting to other people. I got to tell you, when I take a look at the way that we deal with fasting specifically, uh, in the Coptic community, is it's it's very unfortunate the way that we approach it. I think for some reason fasting has a bad reputation among us, because obviously we're a church who deals with fasting. You know that technically, statistically, we fast more days uh, in the Coptic Orthodox Church than any other church, any other Christian church. We fast two thirds of the year, um, and I think for I think there's a reason behind that. But I think we missed the point. I think we missed the reason why it is that we spend so much time in fasting. So today, God willing, I want to speak to you about fasting, but from a very different perspective. I want to talk to you about our offerings to God, understanding the meaning of fasting. For that to happen, I want us to have a few definitions that I want us to work towards. Number one, when we speak about offerings and sacrifices, I want us to truly understand how it is that we're approaching this. I want us to have a working definition that we can all approach together. The act of giving up something that you want to keep, especially in order to get or to do something else or to help someone. This is typically the understanding that we have of sacrifice. But I want you to really understand it at the level of realizing that when you offer something that is yours for the sake of something that is greater, it's an exchange. The offering and the sacrifice that is made here is actually something that allows you to be able to benefit. So the exchange that you are doing is one where you are the one who is receiving the greater interest. Think of it, if you wish, as if you were playing chess. And if any of you have played chess before, you know strategically it makes sense for you to be able to give up a pawn or to give up a single piece in order to acquire several pieces. It makes sense for you to be able to give up a knight or to give up a bishop or to give up even the pawn for the sake of being able to acquire the queen. So 
What I'm trying to say is that ultimately, um, what's important for us to understand is that when we deal with the idea of offering or sacrifice, the exchange is always to our benefit, especially when you're dealing with God. And the reason for this is actually very simple. We know very well that God benefits absolutely nothing from our offering. And this is actually important. I know that we would like to think that we're doing God a favor when we praise Him, when we pray to Him, when we offer to Him, when we sacrifice. But He gains nothing. God is immutable. God is unchangeable. God is invariable. What I mean by that is that there is no gain for God. He is not less holy if we stop praying. And He is not more holy if we increase our prayers. The same thing happens at the level of our sacrifices and our fasting. God is immutable and unchangeable, and so it is always us who gains. And so in the exchange that we have with God, in what it is that we offer Him, we are always the ones to benefit greatly from this exchange. And so the question that we have to understand then is when I offer or when I sacrifice, why is there such a need for change? Why is there a need for renewal? Why am I offering anything at all? And the honest to God answer is that it brings me back to realizing how I was made. What I mean by that is that when we speak about how it is that the human being was made, we know that the psalmist teaches us that we were made fearfully and wonderfully. He says, I worship God in adoration for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. When the Lord God created you and when he created all of humanity, he created us and embedded within us the richest and most beautiful of gifts, a gift that is only found within the human being. He adorned us with his image and his likeness. He adorned us with everything that it means to be able to be a partaker of the divine nature, as St. Peter says in his epistle. He created us so that we can be one with him. The renewal that we pursue and the change that we pursue, or this exchange, if you wish, what we offer and the sacrifice that we give, is meant for us to be able to renew his image within us. It is meant for us to be able to go back and become that pure and most, the, the, the pure and most beautiful offering that we can give to him, which is our free will, a reflection, if you wish, of his image and likeness. Many people today might think to themselves, you know, the right approach to everything is to surround myself with people who accept me for who I am, right? And you've heard this before. This whole idea of how it is that the world is trying to tell you, you know, you're beautiful the way you are. You don't need to change. There's nothing wrong with you. You need to surround yourself with people who accept you the way that you are. No, Habibi, let me be very clear. God loves you enough to make sure that he changes you and turns you into what you must become. What God desires for us is for us to achieve our potential, not to leave us stagnant in our reality of comfort. He doesn't want to see us in the same way that you would view a pig who in the morning sun cools off by dosing himself in the mud. He doesn't want to leave us in that state. He wants to see us fulfill our truest and more sincere potential, which is to be created in his image and likeness. So this whole idea of God accepts you as you are, of course he accepts you as you are, as his son in relationship. But does that not mean that God wants to see his children fully achieve their potential and their union with him? That this requires change. This requires renewal. And this can only happen if we are willing to offer of ourselves, if we are willing to be able to give something up. And this is where I think it's important for us to truly understand there is no way that you'll be able to properly approach the mystery of fasting in the church unless you understand what he's come to do for you. I think a lot of people mistake the Christian reality for one where the church is only there to be able to create good moral citizens. You know, you know how... 
you speak to some parents in the church, and I'm sure Abuna Botkus will know what I'm talking about. There's people who feel like, as long as my kids are in church, they're okay, right? I, I was just telling Aki and Abuna right now a few seconds ago, I homeschool my children, right? So my kids don't even go to school. And yet, uh, they come back and they know all the words to all these popular songs. They know all the dance moves. They know all the bad words. They know all of these horrible things. Where do you think they learn those things? They don't go to school. Where do you think they learn them? They learn them at church. Why? Because the church is filled with human beings. But sometimes you speak to people as if the building is somehow magical. The building is somehow supposed to like protect you from evil. The problem is that we really fail to understand God did not come and die on the cross, was incarnate and was born of the Holy Virgin, was baptized for us and for our salvation, died and rose again from the dead for us and for our salvation, ascended into the heavens for us and for our salvation. He didn't do all of those things so we could merely be good boys and girls. He came so that he can conquer death, so that he can give you and me real life. He came so that he can destroy the power of death that ruled over us, which means that he doesn't want us to remain in this state of death, in this state where we are conquered by something else. You know, one of the first commandments that was given to the human being after he was placed in the garden, the Lord told Adam that he wants him to have dominion over all creation. He says, tend the earth and subdue it, he says. We were called to be the pinnacle of creation. The human being was called to be the most beautiful of God's creation. To be the Lord of creation, if you wish. We who offer everything back unto God. We were never meant to be subdued by the rest of the material world. We were never meant to be dominated. We were created to have dominion, to subdue the earth. But it's incredible how the tables have turned, isn't it? Now more than ever, a little bit of cream in my coffee has more control than me than my willpower. A chocolate bar that was left on the counter from just a few, like, think about this, right? Uh, you know how you start fasting and then you think to yourself, oh, I haven't finished all of the meat in my fridge. Let me finish all of my meat and then I'll begin fasting, right? Or, oh, I forgot to tell the guy to remove the cheese from my filet fish sandwich from McDonald's. Or whatever, Abuna, I need protein. I've been working out and taking my health very seriously. So just give me chicken. Allow me chicken, Abuna, right? And we deal as if everything else in our life has control over us. You know what else has dominion over us? This devil here, this thing. More than ever, we don't know how to say no to this thing. We don't know how to say no to our notifications. We don't know how to say no to to our Instagram, our Twitter. We don't know how to say no to have been subdued by everything else. We are the ones who are being done to be the pinnacle of all creation. Is starting to demonstrate how it is that we are the weakest of all creation. Because even an inanimate reality, an inanimate creature, an inanimate material thing, like food, can control my life. You know what's beautiful about the icon of the resurrection that the church celebrates, especially in the Orthodox tradition? You're looking here at the icon of the resurrection by Dr. Ishaq Fanus. And you can tell here in the icon that what's beautiful is that the Lord descends into Hades and he is pulling two people out of their tombs. 
Typically, the church tells us that what he's doing there is that he's releasing Adam and Eve from their bondage of death. What's beautiful in this icon, you'll notice what it is that the angels are doing to Satan. They're binding him up. Him who once ruled over us and has dominated us, has bound us with slavery of sin. He is the one who is going to be bound. You and I were meant to be free. You and I were meant to pursue life, not to be dominated by anything. And I truly believe that the church introduces to us in her wisdom the gift and the mystery of fasting so that we can practice this reality, this building of the muscle of being able to subdue and to have dominion and to not be dominated by anything. Now I understand how ironic this is and I ask Abuna Botkos to forgive me as, I, as much as I ask all of you to forgive me as well. It's ironic that the priest who's giving you this talk is clearly obese and has a problem with food. But yet I pray that God may grant me victory over my gluttony. And it's true. The gluttony that has overtaken me is one that has, is leading me into sin. And I have to fight it. And how do you fight the passions unless you are willing to sacrifice, unless you are willing to offer yourself? Tell me, how is it that a person can reach a point where they are willing to witness to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the most horrifying of realities if I can't even say no to my stomach? How do I testify to his name even when there is a sword placed to my neck? When I am being told, if you don't confess, I will kill you. Are you willing to die for your faith if you can't say no to Instagram? How are you willing to preach his name even to the last breath? And you, you saw, all of you have seen this. In 2015, when we saw those beautiful martyrs of Libya, being slaughtered on the beach. Some of the last words that they spoke were, Yesua, my Lord Jesus. They call on his name. How do I call on his name if I'm still arguing with my father of confession that I don't have control over what comes out of my mouth? Isn't that what I say? Every time I go to confess, I talk about how it is that I can't control what I say. It just happens, Abuna. Where's the, where's the discipline? Where's the alignment of the will? At what point will I begin to realize that death is not just a physical state where the heart no longer beats or where the brain isn't working, that death is really the human being when he's incapable of being fully alive in Christ. Death is where something else becomes my master, whether it be food or social status, whether it be money or my work or a bad relationship, my language and addiction of some sort, all of the passions when it rules over me, then I am a slave and I am dead. I am not fully alive. To what point will I begin to realize that I am not afraid of physical death? Because I know that I'm truly alive in Christ by not allowing these things to control me. My beloved, I want you to try to understand what I'm saying. When we speak of the Lord Jesus Christ, what we are really talking about is one who is never, ever willing to shy away from showing himself to us. For those of us who will pursue him, for those of us who are willing to offer of ourselves to him, he will reveal himself to us. Look at the way that St. Anthony the Great describes this reality of how it is that God is never willing to hide himself from those who come to him, those who are willing to offer to him. So listen to what he says. He said, God neither rejoices nor grows angry. Again, pointing to this idea that God doesn't fluctuate. For to rejoice and to be offended our passions, nor is he won over by the gifts of those who honor him, for that would mean that he is swayed by pleasure. 
And I think St. Anthony here is very clear. Don't think that somehow God, you win God's favor by offering more to him. It's not like that. He says it is not right that the divine feel pleasure or displeasure from human conditions. He is good, and he only bestows blessings and never does harm, remaining always the same. We men, on the other hand, if we remain good through resembling God, and here is this idea of going back to bear the image of God. If we remain good through resembling God, are united to him. But if we become evil through not resembling God, we are separated from him. St. Anthony is just teaching something that is very clear. He says, the more that you work towards resembling the Lord Jesus Christ, becoming an icon of the Lord Christ, then you receive all that is good from him. But the more that we reject that, the more that we turn away from him, then obviously there is no union there. We become separated from him. He continues and says what? By living in holiness, we cleave to God. But by becoming wicked, we make him our enemy. It is not that he grows angry with us in an arbitrary way. But it is our own sins that prevent God from shining within us and exposes us to demons who torture us. It is not us who somehow offend God. And so he's there saying, I want nothing to do with you. And he walks out on you. And you know, sometimes in our language, we make the mistake of acting as if somehow it's God who moved away. As if it's God who turned his back on us. As if God looked at us and said, I'm done with you. But it's not like that. It is not God who fluctuates. It's me. And St. Anthony makes that very clear. It is our own sins that prevents God from shining in our lives. He explains this by saying what? It is not that he grows angry with us in an arbitrary way, but it is our own sins that prevent God from shining within us and exposes us to demons who torture us. And if through prayer and acts of compassion, we gain release from our sins, this does not mean that we have won God over and made him to change, but that through our actions and our turning to the divinity, we have cured our wickedness and so once more have enjoyment of God's goodness. Thus to say that God turns away from the wicked is like saying that the sun hides itself from the blind. I love that last sentence. To say that God turns away from the wicked is like saying that the sun hides itself from the blind. The sun doesn't hide from the blind. The sun is always the sun. But those who are blinded are incapable of seeing the sun, even though the sun is very present and still shines upon them. We know that God is accessible to us. And we know that God will always remain who he is in his goodness, in his compassion, in his love. It is up to us to now to be able to turn to him and say, I want to receive all that you have to offer. I want to open my eyes, if you wish, if I compare myself to the blind that St. Anthony is speaking to here. Rather than complaining that God is not giving to me, it is up to me to show up and to open my hands so I can receive from him. There is nothing that allows a human being to be able to do that more than fasting. Now, it's interesting because when we speak of fasting, oftentimes we speak of fasting only at the level of dietary change, right? We speak of fasting only as if it was about, you know, the milk products and the eggs and the butter. And we talk about how it is that you're giving up the meat and sometimes there's fish and no fish. And we act as if it's only about that. But think about that for just a second. The church treats the faithful as if they were infants. The smallest of things that we can begin to give up is what? Some foods. You know, in the original, and the early church, when we spoke of fasting, we spoke about real fasting. We spoke about actual, like, abstinence, where a person did not eat. Now, let, let's be honest here, okay? Especially for those of you who, like me, were born in the 80s, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There was no Beyond Meat burgers. There, there wasn't any of this, like, vegan shawarma. 
there wasn't any of this like incredible food that was accessible and you couldn't tell the difference. And sometimes you feel like the, the, the vegan beyond meat burger, sausage, beef, patty, whatever it is, that sometimes it tastes even better than the actual stuff that's sold in stores. There was none of this. It, is, it has never been easier to fast. As a matter of fact, I think some would even question, is that even really fasting? I shouldn't just be fasting from the dietary stuff and make that out as if it's somehow what God expects from me. God wants me to be able to say no to the little things so that one day I can say no to the big things. Because if I can say no to cream in my coffee, and it's not because cream is evil. It's not because the church has beef with like the poultry market and doesn't want, <laughs> and doesn't want us to like buy meat. No. It has everything to do with teaching us that can you say no? Can you say no to yourself? And if you can learn to say no in the little things, then maybe one day you'll be able to say no in the bigger things. And so the question is, how do we offer? How do we sacrifice? What is the real purpose of fasting? And I really think that this is where the church teaches us. Offer of yourself. Offer of the little that you have. All of us remember the story of the, the widow who offered two mites when she entered into the synagogue. And how it is that the Lord looked upon her and he said, I, I tell you, truly, truly, that she has offered more than everyone else because she has offered from her poverty. In my weakness, I can offer to God. And I know this is going to sound crazy, but I can turn to God and I can tell him, Lord, even the cream that is in my coffee, I offer it to you. Not because the cream is evil, but because I want to say no to something for the sake of building the virtue of self-discipline, for the sake of acquiring the gifts of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I'm saying no to meat. Lord, I'm saying no to my phone. Lord, I'm choosing to close my social media accounts for the next 43 days. Lord, I'm going to step away from certain conversations. Lord, I'm going to stay away from these sinful places. Lord, I'm going to cut out the secular music that has been completely polluting my mind with these words that are filled with so much sin. Lord, I'm going to say no to the little things because if you can help me, if you can help me say no to the little things, then maybe I'll be able to say no to lust, to greed, to envy, to anger, to hatred, to a lack of forgiveness, to everything. I might be able to fight off those demons through the power of your Holy Spirit if I could say no to the little things. What's the purpose? The purpose, obviously, is for us to reach a point where we can do two things, where we can have self-control and we can properly assess. Think about the following for just a second. And this is, I, I find this funny, but it's interesting how... Um, how it applies to me at the very least, right? You have this meme that says, I hate it when you open the fridge and you can't find what you're looking for, like happiness and perfect abs, right? Think about this for a second. We turn to food for everything. You're happy? Eat. You're sad? Eat. You're angry? Eat. You're celebrating? Eat. You're mourning? Let's eat. Everything is eat. Everything, everything is found in food, especially if you're Egyptian. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Everything is about food, right? And God understands this. He understands this, believe me, more than you might think. And the reason that I say he understands it is because when he wanted to offer himself to us in the most beautiful way, how did he do it? Through the very act of eating in the Eucharist. He offers himself in this way where we, he really becomes one with us and in us. Now, there is something, though, about food that I think we really missed the mark on. We forget that sometimes to be able to assess what's really happening within us, the best thing to do is to detox. The best thing to do is to neutralize what's happening in your body. 
think about this for a second. For the longest time in the medical reality, if you want to do proper blood tests, what do they tell you to do? They tell you to abstain. They tell you to fast. Why? Because we want to cleanse you. We want to reach a point where to properly assess what's happening within you, then you should be fasting. You should be abstaining from things that might skew the results. Abstaining from things that might camouflage the real problem that is there. And the church tells us to do the same thing. Church tells us if you really want to repent, then fast. Real fast. Again, not simply the change in your diet, but a real and genuine fast. Again, people are still tempted to ask the question of why. And let me just explain something to you. You know when you show up after Christmas or after Easter and then you come home after like spending so much time fasting and then you enter a, into a dining room that looks like this? Like I got to tell you, we grew up with three brothers, okay? Abuna Krolos is our eldest, there's myself, and then there's my brother Mina, okay? And my mother, God bless her, this woman is going straight to heaven just because she had the three of us as boys. And then my father, uh, Amuagi, is a really serious contender when it comes to like, you know, it was a difficult home to be a small five foot three woman in, but she was a superstar. And she would cook a feast to the point where like, honestly, you can, you can feed half of Cairo just from my mother's like, festal uh, supper right and it's incredible how like you just spent the entire day you know imagine if you wish after like a period like lent you just fasted during lent there's liturgies that are ending at like 7 p.m you fasted the entire day several times and then there's pascha and you're at church in the morning and in the evening and then there's good friday you're spending 16 hours at church you go home you take a two-minute break or a two-hour break, you come back for Abu Ghalamsis, you're dead tired. And then you attend the liturgy and everything is Faraihi and Abuna spraying Gregorian, and then you come home and you just can't wait to dig in, right? And then you eat, you eat, you eat, you eat, you eat to the point where you enter into a food coma, right? This is what happens to most of us. And then after eating all of this, Mama takes up the kahk and the petit four and all of this stuff. So where is the gain? What have we gained? What have we gained if... I get to indulge in everything that I said no to. You know, there's some Christians who would make a mockery out of other faiths that believe in this idea that the things you say no to here, God will give you later. You know what I'm talking about? Those people who talk about how it is that like, if I say no to wine here, there'll be rivers flowing with wine in heaven. If I say no to pork here, and we'll be eating as much bacon as I want in heaven. If I say no to women here, God promises me as much women as I want in heaven. We make fun of this idea of like, what, what is that? But tell me, other than just me making fun of it, where is the real reflection of me understanding that concept in my fasting? So I'll fast for 40 days or 43 days from Instagram, from Facebook, from sinning, from music, from the movies, from Netflix, from this and that. And after 43 days, I go back and I indulge. What have I benefited? What have I benefited? Where is the self-control? What have I gained? The real, the real question that no one is asking is, what can I fast from now that can actually lead to repentance? Which can actually lead to real change? Because if I'm not acquiring the real virtue, I don't want the virtue of self-control for 43 days out of the year. I want the Holy Spirit to work in me and through me every day of my life. And this is where I think it's really interesting how it is that we leave the dining room table saying, I'm so full. 
right? But there's this beautiful, beautiful quote in the book of Proverbs where King Solomon says something really interesting. He says, a satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb, but a hungry soul, but to a hungry soul, every better thing is sweet. Imagine if I was satisfied with God. Imagine if I felt so full of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit in the same way that I feel full leaving my mother's dining room table after the feast. Imagine if I said, oh my goodness, I'm so full I can't breathe because God has filled me with all that I need. Then I'll be able to say no to the things that I've desired. Listen to that verse again. A satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb. When I am full, I don't desire anything. When I offer to God in fasting, when I sacrifice in fasting, when I offer this to God, when I place myself before Him, what am I really telling Him? Fill me. Fill me so that I don't feel a need to turn to anything that is worldly. Because I don't want to be that hungry soul that is so empty that I accept any and every bitter thing that the world has to offer. You know, the, the real effect of fasting in my life is one where I see that God is capable of completely renewing me, destroying those things that are broken within me. In Matthew chapter 17, we see this beautiful, beautiful demonstration of how it is that the Lord came to set us free from those things that enslave us. It says in Matthew 17, we'll read it together. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And so I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. And then we know that eventually that the Lord ends up healing the person. And the disciples turn to the Lord Jesus and they tell him, Lord, how come? Why, why weren't we capable of doing this? Why weren't we capable of rebuking the demon the same way that you rebuked the demon? Do you remember what the answer of the Lord was? This kind cannot come out except through prayer and fasting. It says that Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. What is it inside me that has to be cured? What is it inside me that the Lord has to tell me that I need to be able to offer of myself in prayer and in fasting in order to be restored? What is it within me that's throwing me in the fire, that's making me an epileptic? And again, I know I'm speaking symbolically, but I know you know what I'm talking about. What is it that I have to offer during this period of fasting for the sake of being able to find healing, to find restoration? Why is it that I can't offer of myself through prayer and fasting for the sake of being renewed? There is a prayer or a power that is found rather, a power in prayer and fasting. The church tells us turn to that. Turn to that prayer, turn to that fasting for the sake of recognizing that what we really want is restoration. We want to be, we want to be brought back to that state where we can subdue, where we can have dominion, where we are not slaves to sin, but rather we are teaching ourselves to say no to the littlest of things in order to embrace God and to take from Him what He wants to offer. Always remember that the change that the Lord wants to make within us is one that is done with grace. We never become like Christ because we've done something good. We've never become like His only begotten Son because we are in of our nature good. San Athanasius speaks of this idea of how it is that we become by grace what He is by nature. The Lord Jesus Christ is divine through His nature. He is the Son of the living God through nature. 
But we are called to participate in him through grace. It is a gift. It is a gift. And it's truly grace that changes everything in my life. But how do I receive his grace if my hands are filled? How do I receive his grace if I've occupied myself with everything else? Again, think of those sins that overtake us. My desire for success, my pride, my gluttony, my lust, my addictions, my greed, my anger, my envy. If I'm holding on to all of that and he says, here, take grace. I can't. I can't receive anything because my hands are full. I must empty my hands. I must release what's within my hands in order for me to take from him what he wants to give me. That image is so powerful. That image of realizing that, you know, unless, unless we reach a point where our hands are emptied for the sake of being able to receive from him everything that he wants to give us, then unfortunately, unfortunately, we won't be able to receive the grace that he wants to give us. My beloved, I want you to first begin by recognizing that it is very possible. It is very possible that ultimately, because we have such a negative impression of what fasting is supposed to be, because we think that fasting is nothing more than dietary restriction, because we don't realize that the real essence of fasting is to offer, to empty your hands so that he can fill them, then how will we ever be able to receive the grace that he wants to bestow upon us for the sake of changing us and renewing us, for the sake of making us again, forming us again in his image and likeness? Ultimately, I think what's most important for me to learn from all of this is that when the church presents before me fasting, I shouldn't sigh, I shouldn't complain, I shouldn't act as if somehow it's inconvenient. There's nothing inconvenient about pursuing life. There's nothing inconvenient about wanting to live according to his will. There's nothing inconvenient about resembling his son. If I could offer of myself by emptying what I've been holding on to, by offering him the little that I have, then the great exchange is that he gives me so much more. He gives me so much more than what I have given up. What am I really saying no to? To food, to social media, to conversations, to being in the know because I'm paying attention to news feeds. What am I giving up? In exchange for what? The gifts of the Holy Spirit, the grace that completely purifies me and enlightens me and illuminates my entire soul. I'm always the one who wins. I'm always the one who benefits from this great exchange. I can only pray that in offering the little that I offer, my time, my energy, my entire will, that somehow this can lead to a point where the Lord allows me to be able to receive everything that he wants to give me. To him be all glory now and forever and unto the ages of all ages. Amen. Thank you, Abuna, for... Uh... Uh, this th those words to help us uh, be aligned with uh, with the with the discipline of fasting and how to really benefit uh, from fasting and to be transformed into the uh, image and likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, maybe this is a time if anyone has any uh, uh, questions or feedback that they want to share with uh, with Abona questions to Abona. Uh, 
Abuna, I struggled with the uh, with the scene of the of the feast when you come home after you know forty days or fifty days of, of fasting. Because I think everyone on this call is, um, I'm not going to say, you know, they're they're a victim, um, but I mean, like, hey, my mom, my mom goes all out. My, you know, the tunts are all, you know, participating in this. Are we, are we not meant to celebrate? Um, I don't know, the joyous occasion, whether it's a resurrection or Advent or whatever it is. Um, and if we are, is it maybe we just have to scale it down a bit? <laughs> That's a tough I, question. I like don't forget you're speaking to a fat priest, so this is hard on <laughs> me too. Um, let, listen, the problem is not the food. The issue was never the food. Um, the issue is the fact that we go from trying to teach ourselves moderation to complete indulgence. You know, the, the, that, that table is a beautiful sign of love that, you know, our, our family members, especially our mothers, they come together to be able to show their love through food, right? And I think it's a beautiful thing. But the real question is, why do I have to, like, put myself into a food coma? Why can't I be grateful for what it is that God has given me and fill my plate just normally? I, listen, I'm speaking from complete and utter like experience of indulgence. I will go back to that table and I'll, and I'll be full to the point where I'm getting sick. And I'm like, no, I still haven't tasted waga anam. And I'm going to have waga anam. And I keep going back to it for the sake of saying I'm going to do it, right? To why? Why do that? Where, where, why do I lose out on the gift that, you know, it's taken the Holy Spirit 43 days or 55 days, or even if it's just the three days of Jonah's fast, the Holy Spirit is working within me to try to plant those seeds within me. Why do I give it up so easily? Why do I like shut down social media for Lent? And then the very next day, I binge six hours trying to recap everything I've missed over the last like seven weeks, right? Abuna, I gave up Netflix for Advent. And then I'm going to spend 16 straight hours like watching five seasons back to back for the sake of saying like, now I'm all caught up. Imagine, imagine a person who says, I have a wedding this summer, I'm going to lose 10 pounds. And then the night of the wedding reception, the night of the wedding reception, I forget the dress, I'm putting on PJs, I'm eating, I'm getting my 10 pounds tonight. <laughs> Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Where is the benefit? I think we're so short-sighted and I think we can benefit from trying to realize that the church is not interested in just preparing you to fit into a dress. The church is really interested in helping you on your path to repentance. So if I, if I understand correctly, it's the indulgence piece. It's the going from like zero to 100 versus going from like zero to like 10. So there's nothing wrong with going back to like Netflix. There's nothing wrong with going back to food. There's no, nothing wrong with going back to like your cream and your coffee. It's just everything needs to be more moderation versus going back to the extreme and going back to what your life was. 43 days ago, 55 days ago, or three days ago. Absolutely. I think it's, I hesitate to say there's nothing wrong to going back to Netflix because I really do think that social media, have you guys watched The Social Dilemma? I have. You need to watch it over and over and over and over and over again. And we should make every parent, I beg you, I'm actually very curious if we are on your perspective because I know that Otsak has worked a long time in, in the field of counseling and therapy. I really want you to watch The Social Dilemma. 
it's one of the most interesting and intriguing documentaries I have ever, ever watched to the point where I honestly hate the world that we live in. <laughs> I hate it. I can't stand anything around us because of that movie. I already hated social media and now I'm just like, I can't handle it anymore. But all of this to say, it's, it's a complete disaster. Um, but all of this to go back to what Aki was saying, yes, of course, the whole point is to come out from the fasting period that much better. I don't want to go back to what I was. I want to continue in my trajectory towards holiness and righteousness. Hey, did you ever, <clears throat> did you ever end up putting cream back in your coffee? Me? Yeah, I just, I just remembered a story before you became a priest and you were standing in line. You know what you need to do? You need to stop paying attention so much when I speak. <laughs> that's, that's, what you, that, that's what you need to do. Actually, now I put a little bit of coffee in my cream. Ah, <laughs> if that makes you feel any better. I did. Uh, I, like, I like this idea, Bona. <laughs> it, takes, uh, it takes talent and wisdom to look like me, Abby. So, Bona, you are bright with the grace of our Lord. <laughs> It's shining off of my bald head. That's all it is, Yavi. I, I see brightness, the brightness of the Holy Spirit through you, Abuna. <laughs> this is what I see and this is what I want to see. <laughs> uh, there is a question that actually came in the chat. Can I, uh, can I read it out loud for everyone? Yes, please. Uh, it says, we have a lot of time doing nothing, reading the news, worrying about tomorrow. How can we trust God in our life and how can we feel peace in our life in this troubled life? Uh, that's a very good question. I think first and foremost is you have to understand that there really is, there's a narrative to the world that we live in and the narrative is chaos. The narrative is we don't want peace because you have to understand as long as there is fear and as long as there is chaos, there is a provocation to action. There is a provocation for you to think a certain way, to put yourself in categories. Are you on the left or are you on the right? Are you liberal? Are you conservative? Do you stand with so-and-so? Do you stand against so-and-so? The world is constantly trying to push us to be able to believe certain things. And the, the world is not interested in truth. The world is only interested in having you believe whatever you want to believe. That's the thing about the world. It's only there to be able to give you definitions that will give you a sense of comfort. It wants you to think that you are right. It worships your ego. Because as long as you are busy worshiping yourself, you will never find time to worship God. I urge you, I urge you, please have a conversation with your spiritual father or your fathers of confession or your spiritual guides, whoever they may be, and detox from all of this negativity that is around us. Take a step away from it. You can't focus on God and receive his grace and recognize the peace and the joy that he wants to fill you with if you're constantly worrying about things that don't even concern you. If you're constantly filling your heart with so much pollution and noise that, to be quite honest, you can do without, right? How am I ever going to focus on taking this next step and doing this one thing right if I'm also thinking about everything else that's happening around me and letting myself get overwhelmed? The only way I can do this is if I do like Christ. And what did Christ do? He took his disciples and he went away into a deserted place. He pulled them aside to be with him alone. Unless I do that, unless I pursue him, unless I have relationship with him in isolation, one-on-one, -on -one, in intimacy. But my problem is that I want both. I want to be connected to the world 
while I also like try to look at my cross every once in a while and I do this thing, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I need to set this down so I can focus on him. If I can know him intimately, then I'll be given the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is discernment to be able to deal with the world around me. I hope that answers the question of the person who asked it. I have nothing else on my end. I'm not sure if there's any other questions. Thank you, Abuna. I think this is um, this has been so helpful for us. Uh, has been helpful for me, and I, I really uh, like like what you said about how God identifies with us through the eating as well, through the food, and He has given us Himself as a food to be nourished uh, to be nourished by. And I, I think this is. Uh, uh, one of the uh, 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 one of the good things that maybe we could approach fasting with that we are uh, uh, we are we we we, we want to really abstain or reduce our involvement with the food of the world uh, uh, metaphorically and focus more on the food of our Lord Jesus Christ whether it's through communion and, and all the spiritual disciplines that we engage with to help us move one step closer every day it's a, a step closer to Him God will. So thank you, Abunan. Thank you, everyone. Uh, Aki, do you want to conclude first or do you want to do announcement first? Uh, whatever works for you. Yeah, uh, do you want to do, do announcement first and then Abunan sure. will conclude prayer? Yeah, let me see if I, can, if I can remember how to do this. It's been a while. Because it's just a tough, challenging time, Abuna. So we're trying to uh, <laughs> uh, 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 connect with everyone. So I'm so happy to have uh, a lot of people joining us uh, today. Actually, we're uh, at the 27 uh, beside the YouTube channel. So this is, uh, thank God, like uh, 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 probably one of the good times when we see people, at least see people names. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and for inviting your people to really turn on the cameras it would be a good thing uh, it would be helpful that if we could share uh, our cameras like it would be nice to see one another faces enough of the virtual uh, challenge that we have uh, so i think ak is gonna share some, an initiative by edge uh, to really get to do something uh, to connect with one another uh, like in a in, in a in a in a helpful creative way. So, Aki, do you wanna? You're ready or not yet? Sure. I got it. So I didn't even know if I was unmuted. Hold on. <laughs> this is gonna work now. Okay. There we go. We're gonna try this one more time. Perfect. Okay. Um, so as Abuna was mentioning, uh, we haven't been fortunate enough to, to see each other in, uh, in public and uh, we do miss seeing uh, our EDGE family. Uh, so one of the things we were hoping that uh, you guys can do is we're trying to put a um, year in review video uh, together for the end of the year and understanding that we haven't had too many events um, in 2020. We are asking if you guys can just record a 15 second uh, video with 
uh, some well wishes, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and uh, what you miss most about EDGE. And if you can send it to Nadine by December 11th, uh, we'll take all those uh, clips and we'll, uh, we'll put it together. And uh, our plan is to share it um, in two weeks in our, last, uh, in our last EDGE meeting before the end of the year. Great. Thank you. No, no, no. This is this is great. I hope everyone uh, 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 would be able to really help and participate. It's it's going to be uh, uh, missing on getting together in uh, the end of the year, Christmas time, and the new year. Uh, at least if we could share those messages, as Aki mentioned, would be helpful kind of to see one another faces and enjoy a kind of clip after another when we see people, when we see all of us greeting one another. So I really encourage you that you would uh, do this. I think it would be helpful for all of us. Uh, we, we, we did this as a group of servants and we have a surprise for you uh, to share from the servants, kind of a recording from the service servants. So we want also to hear from you and want to see you uh, so that we greet one another, we really uh, cherish one another and uh, really enjoy this these clips. So I really look forward personally to seeing each and every one of you uh, just saying Merry Christmas and what you miss about, uh, about it. Uh, send it to Nadine and the email The email is in the flyer. You're going to have it in the uh, uh, Instagram and in the email, I believe, when you, when you receive it. Uh, Abuna, can you conclude uh, with a prayer for us, please? Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen, O Heavenly King, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who is present everywhere and fills all. Graciously come and abide in us, a good one, purify us of all iniquities, and save our souls. Through intercessions of your Holy Virgin Mother, Saint Mary, and all the saints who have pleased you since the beginning. And through the blessings of this holy, blessed fast of Advent, please, Lord, accept our prayers and make us worthy to pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Buna. Thank you, everyone. Again, reminder that the deadline is December 11th, so that people can uh, compile the videos together. Uh, thank you, Abuna. I really appreciate your presence with us. It's a pleasure always to see you and to hear your, your words. And uh, good night, everyone. Nice to uh, see you all. Thank you so much, Abuna. Thank you, Abuna. Good seeing you. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Thank you, guys. Good night, everyone. Bye.